Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me again this week. I really do appreciate it. We're coming at you live from the draft lottery. Well, not exactly from the draft lottery. I'm, I'm actually in Australia. I'm not in Chicago and it's not technically live either, but I'm recording this live as it's happening. You'll hear it post that, but I am watching the lottery as it's going down. I am like one of you all right now. I'm hoping for a Bulls victory here. I'm, I'm I'm starting this recording pretty much as Mark Tatum has walked out onto the dais here. He's reading out the first pick, and it's Boston at pick number 14. So that's interesting. Not much to, to glean from there, I guess. We we uh, didn't we don't want any of these teams who are picking between the Bulls and sort of 14 to jump up, so gladly the Boston Celtics didn't. 13 is the Miami Heats, another team that's sort of hanging back in the lottery again. They're not jumping up, which is good news for our Bulls, so fingers crossed, fingers crossed. What are we doing at 12? It's the Charlotte Hornets. Okay, that's another good news for the Bulls. We, we want to keep all these teams behind us. Whew. Uh, number 11, the Timberwolves. Timberwolves at number 11. All right, here we go. Gerson Roses there, new new GM. Oh, oh man, here, here we go. Number 10, Lakers. Please do not move up. Please do not move up. Oh, no, who's at number 10? Please let it be the Lakers. Do not move up. Do not move up. Do not, ooh, oh, it's the Atlanta Hawks. Someone has jumped up. Someone has jumped up. Oh, crap. Oh crap! Oh crap! Oh crap! Who who's who's coming in at nine? If the Lakers have jumped up, I, I swear. Oh shit! The Lakers are in the. Oh no! The Lakers. Ah, oh, the Lakers are in the top four. This is absolutely disastrous. The Wizards are going nine, so the Lakers have jumped up into the top four. Oh god! Oh man! And, and oh, and the Hawks now have fallen to eight, so they've got. Picks 8 and 10. This is disastrous for the Atlanta Hawks. Oh, man, I'd hate to be a Hawks fan right now. This is sad for if you're a Hawks fan. But no. Oh, no. No. They've just pulled out number 7. And, um, yeah, it's the Chicago Bulls. It is uh, the Chicago Bulls. (laughs) Our Chicago Bulls are picking number 7. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. The Phoenix Suns, they're at number six. They're falling all the way down too. So basically, the Lakers, the Grizzlies, and the Pelicans have jumped up. If I'm if I'm reading this or watching this correctly, I, I had to pause and think for a moment there. But holy crap, the Cavs are at pick five. So this is this is this is interesting. I mean, this is the new draft lottery playing out. The the new lotteries. <laughs> <laughs> the new lottery has really done some damage for the teams that were tanking. The Knicks are at number five. Oh no, the Knicks are in the top four. Sorry. So really, they're one of the only the teams at the bottom of the of the lottery here. The only team really to be in the top four is the Knicks. The Lakers have jumped jumped up into the top four. The Grizzlies are up into the top four. The Pelicans are up into the top four. That has pushed the Bulls, the Suns, and the Cavs out of the top four, which is absolutely disastrous, Bulls fans. We're picking at number seven again in a weaker draft than what we had last the last two years. The Bulls have fallen down from, say, number four down to number seven, which is absolutely disastrous, which... Oh, man. Oh, oh man. I, I honestly don't know what to say. I, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Oh. Uh, I yeah, I honestly don't know what to say, Bulls fans. I mean, I was hoping for a top two pick. I was hoping, obviously, for a number one pick. I was hoping for Zion, but obviously that's not materializing right now, given what has sort of taken place. And the broadcast goes to an ad break here, so I guess this gives me a chance to collect my thoughts somewhat. But, I mean, the Bulls have fallen down from 
four to seven, let's call it. I mean, best case scenario, the Bulls were moving up. Obviously, that isn't happening. They've actually fallen down to number seven, which is pretty disastrous given that beyond Zion, this draft probably wasn't super strong, but even then beyond maybe Ja Morant, RJ Barrett, and you know, if you if you're like me, a, a Jarrett Culver fan, then beyond those four, there was no one that I really, really was into. I guess you could maybe talk yourself into Darius Garland, or I, I don't know if there's anyone else really. But uh, number seven, that is not ideal at all. And my instant thought is, I uh, I'm blaming C Red Fred. It's all on you, C Red. You're the one that has been perpetuating this myth of the number seven pick in 2017, the number seven pin, number seven pick in 2018, the number seven ranking in the Eastern Conference playoffs next season, and then the number seven championship coming our way. Well, guess what? Another number seven has sort of fallen the ball's way here, and they've landed with the number seven pick in the 2019 NBA draft, which is a buzzkill. There's no way to there's no way to deny that. Now, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen at the draft at number seven. Who knows? Maybe the player they pick at number seven turns out to be actually someone worthwhile. But right now, I mean, Jesus, man, this is not this is not the expected outcome or the hoped outcome. I mean, the other teams that haven't fared very well either. Obviously, the Atlanta Hawks. They were looking at a situation where they could have potentially two picks in the top five. Instead, they've fallen to eight and ten. So there's probably some teams who have got it a little bit worse here. But this isn't an Atlanta Hawks podcast. This is a Chicago Bulls podcast. So I don't really care what has happened to the other teams. I only care about my Bulls. And I don't want to see them picking number seven. I don't want to see them picking number seven. And as the broadcast comes back here now, we see a picture of Zion Williams and Zion Williamson rather, and he's going to be either a Los Angeles Laker, a Memphis Grizzlies player, a New Orleans Pelican, or a New York Nick. Oh man, this is disastrous. Please do not send him to the Lakers or the Knicks here, NBA gods. Do not hurt my balls by sending us down from number seven and then giving Zion to one of the Knicks or the Lakers. I ask you, I beg of you, do not let that happen. So let's see what happens here. As we go back now to Mark Tatum, who's reading out the fourth pick and he's pulling it out of the envelope. And it's the Lakers. Thank Christ, the Lakers do not get the number one pick. They will have the fourth pick in this draft as long as Zion isn't going to the LA Lakers. I am fine with that. The Knicks, they get third. Oh, cool. That is that is huge. That is massive. Thank you, basketball gods. Thank you. All right, number two, it's one of the Pelicans or the Grizzlies. It's the Grizzlies, so the Pelicans win the draft. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Zion Williamson is going to be a New York League Pelican. Oh, man. Jesus. Jesus. I mean, David Griffin must be kicking himself. How lucky is that dude right now accepting that job in the offseason? He took on that Pelicans job after all the fiasco with Anthony Davis. And the Pelicans now have gone out and got the number one pick. Oh man, that is crazy. That changes. That potentially changes the NBA landscape in the offseason. Who knows what the repercussions of that with Anthony Davis. I mean, teams were hoping to land the number one pick potentially to trade for Anthony Davis. But now the number one pick is actually going to be sitting right next to Anthony Davis in that front court if he chooses to stay. Maybe he wants to stay now. I don't know. Wow. I mean, this is... <laughs> This is crazy. This is nuts. Um, I did not... Look, I had I had no real expectations as to how this draft was going to play out. I did not expect the Bulls to, to get the number one pick. Obviously, I was hopeful of that, but I did not expect the Pelicans to jump up and get the number one pick. But here we are. Oh, man. Wow. 
I honestly, uh, I, I don't know what to think right now, Bulls fans. I have no co- coherent thought right now. I mean, in, the initial disappointment has somewhat been, I guess, covered up slightly because the, the Lakers and the Knicks, thankfully, didn't lock themselves into a, a top two pick. But ultimately, that doesn't really matter. All, all, all I really do care about is our Chicago Bulls and Falling to number seven, we we joked about it to some degree in the lead up to the draft lottery. I didn't think it was going to happen because that basically you needed three teams to jump up ahead of the Bulls for that to occur, and that's basically what happened. And oh man, this sucks. This this truly fucking sucks. Ah, uh, but rather than hearing me just rambling, in, I'm actually going to bring someone online now who can hopefully offer me some perspective. Maybe not. Maybe he's hurt like me too. But um, let's welcome in Jordan Malley from Locked On Bulls. He's jumping on the podcast too. Jordan, thanks for coming in, man. And what were your thoughts when you saw how this played out? When you saw the Bulls fall down to seven, what were you thinking? Oh man! As soon as I saw that the Lakers got passed up, I'm like, "Uh oh, this is this is not going to be good." But to be honest with you, I didn't get my hopes up, and this is exactly why we talked about it in February. I was backing, and I was getting killed for this backing the fact that even though some people were against it, and you want to be in the 14 percenter club. Wins in February mattered, and now for the first time with the lottery odds changed, I think a lot of fans had started to open their eyes a little bit, but man, this was worst case scenario. I guess worst case scenario was number eight, right? But to me, I'm like seventh pick for three years in a row, and we just went through that season for the seventh pick. Man, it hurts. Yeah, it, it sucks. It really does suck. But I mean, even if the Bulls were in the 14 percenters, like the Knicks fell to third, the Cavs and the Suns fell too. So it seemed like the teams that were really going for that hard tank, they all basically lost tonight, which I guess is the new lottery system trying to do what it was designed to do. And teams that were above those tanking teams got rewarded, I suppose, particularly obviously the New Orleans Pelicans who have all but landed Zion Williamson, which great for them, obviously sucks for us. But yeah, I, 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 I mentioned before that I have no real coherent idea of what should happen next, I guess, because whilst I wasn't expecting a Zion or a Jar Morant, you know, picks one or two, I was definitely hoping for that to be the case. But now I'm sort of lost for words to a degree, and I don't know what the next move will be because number seven, as you sort of alluded to, wasn't the worst case scenario. Number eight would have been that, but it's not far off. And if number seven results in a player like Kobe White or, or or Cam Reddish or whoever it may be, I'm not sure it can justify the, the pain that we sort of had to go through where we had a season that was worse than the first year of the rebuild. I completely agree with you. And you think about it from the perspective too, and we talked about this on Locked On Bulls a few days ago, and I just mentioned really quick, you know, I know this is hindsight a little bit, but think back to training camp at that time and what pick the Bulls, you expected the Bulls to have. It was probably going to be somewhere anywhere between 7 and 11, and I know the pain that this season brought uh, should have brought us at least a little bit of a better pick. But to be honest with you, I had a feeling that at 4, if the Bulls would have stayed at 4, where realistically a lot of people were talking about just because they're positioning, the Bulls were in a tough tough spot. Were they going to take another wing and load up on wing? Now you have three wings that you need to find playing time for, or were you going to reach on a, on the second point guard in this draft? And while it's not the best case scenario, I think it allows me to take a little bit of a deep breath if the Bulls are going to pursue one of those two point guards. Now the question is, is any of those six teams before the Bulls pick 
are they going to be interested in a guy like Darius Garland or Kobe White? And I think that's the most interesting thing of it all. But I kind of set myself up to not be as disappointed as maybe some other Bulls fans are out there tonight. Yeah, I mean, you definitely played it smart if that's the case. <laughs> if that's the way you played it. I mean, I tried to do that as much as I could, but once... Once we started getting uh, started getting rolling, I was hopeful that uh, some, the miracle would be made to a degree, but obviously it didn't happen. But to your point there, I think the biggest takeaway, apart from the balls falling to seven, is the fact that teams that jumped up in front of the balls or the teams that are ahead of the balls at the moment, there's quite a few teams that have a need for point guard, which is obviously the problem the balls currently have themselves. So. When you think about Jar Morant, he's probably going to go to Memphis at number two, you would imagine. I would assume they take Jar to, to pair up with Jaron Jackson Jr. and then maybe trade away Mike Conley for some assets. So I would assume Jar still goes at number two. At number four, this is crucial. The Lakers have jumped up to number four. And Darius Garland, who was, he was another point guard option for the Bulls. He signed with Clutch Sports, which is Rich Paul, which is obviously that Le- LeBron connection is pretty strong there. And the Lakers at number four, he as an off-ball sort of point guard, a shooting option next to LeBron, that makes complete sense. So I could I could potentially see the Lakers taking taking Darius Garland number four, and even at number six, you've got the Phoenix Suns who have a point guard issue too. So it's possible that Kobe White goes to number six to the Suns, and then the Bulls really are left with no point guard options at all. I think that scenario is pretty much in play here. Wow, you just you I was a little bit hopeful at seven, and now that you just <laughs> broke that down quickly sorry, for me, I'm sorry. like. Oh no. No, you're you're exactly right though. You're exactly right. The way you kind of broke it down there Memphis. I mean, Memphis and Lakers and the Suns and I mean, the Cavs, like the Cavs need a wing, sure, but still like you could possibly move Colin Sexton for something if you really do believe in maybe one of these other point guards besides him and what you saw in his rookie year. I mean, that's not off the table either. I guess just instant reaction for me is then where do we go at seven? Say those all three point guards are off the board at that point. Do you look to trade this pick, Mark? I guess that's my first reaction here is do the Bulls look to just trade out of this pick at this point and see what they can get at number seven as opposed to taking a chance on a guy that has a ceiling of maybe being a potential role player three or four years down the road? I mean... At seven, I feel like there isn't too many guys that are screaming, hey, I could potentially be a starter for a really long time in the NBA here. At least that's how I feel at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's going to be a super fluid situation. So I just listed off what potentially could happen in that point guard spot. But if three point guards go in the top six, then one of these wings might fall. And I'm hopeful that it's one of uh, you know, DeAndre Hunter or Jarrett Culver. Maybe they could fall to the Bulls. And if you're really into that type of player... And I think it's no harm having another wing in, in this sort of NBA. I think that's not a bad uh, idea or, or a bad result as such in that p- particular isolated case. So if, you, if you're if you high on one of those guys, then, you know, Jarrett Culver, for example, falling to number seven, I'd be pretty wrapped with that given that I had him sort of as someone that I'd be interested in that two, three, four, five range. So if you could get Culver at seven, I think that would be appealing. But if for whatever reason he's off the ball, off the board rather, and it's a situation where you're sort of tossing up, say DeAndre Hunter versus trading the pick at pick number seven, then I think that's something you seriously need to consider because I don't know if pick number seven is you know good enough to or good enough to justify this season as it sort of played out. Twenty two and sixty, the Bulls were this season. Maybe you just need to make a play here and swing for something. And prior to the draft, Joe Cowley was reporting, oh, well, I, I guess putting the story that. The Bulls may have some interest in trading their pick, assuming it will fall to three to six, 
for Lonzo Ball. So I don't know what your immediate thoughts are for, uh, on that one, but now that it's fallen to pick seven, I think that becomes an interesting proposal too that you know that the Bulls at least have to think about or consider. Absolutely, and I think I think that's spot on. I've been on. I've been on board for Lonzo Ball for a few months, and I mean, even when we were talking about it pre-trade deadline, too, I said, you know, it doesn't hurt to go and make that call, and like, everything that Lonzo Ball has in terms of potential and ceiling is exactly what you need at the point guard position. Everybody's kind of kind of already being negative towards the Lonzo Ball, and I think that's been for the last couple of months, is, oh, the dude can't shoot. He can't shoot threes effectively. He doesn't... He doesn't shoot at the free throw line like any any top pick should ever shoot. Like, for, what did he shoot, 45% or something along those lines this year? And then on top of that, he's injury prone too. So there are a couple factors in the negative, but... In terms of thinking about if he's fully healthy on the floor, I think he can do he can do marvelous things for the Bulls if they want to trade for him. And at seven, that's the perfect position because, like you said, two point guards could be off the board at that point. Jarrett Culver could be off the board. R.J. Barrett could be off the board. And then you're looking at a guy like DeAndre Hunter. And while I think DeAndre Hunter is a really nice player and he can you can plug him in and play him right away. Kind of, kind of negates drafting him at seven at this point because you've got Porter and you've got Hutchison to pl- play and fill those spots. So, to me, I would take a really good hardened look at Lonzo Ball and maybe even some other options. Like, look at Memphis at number two. If they take John Morant, maybe you do insert yourself in the conversation for Mike Conley. I know the money is absolutely ridiculous at this point, but we're paying we're paying Otto Porter for another two years at a ridiculous contract. Maybe you lean all the way into that situation if it's all only going to cost you your seventh pick and maybe one other asset in order to acquire him. I don't really know what the market is at this point, but still, I think I think you legitimately have to look at all of your options and looking at what can we do now to upgrade this team immediately because at seven, if all the point guards are off the board and the top few wings are there, like what are you really drafting and what is that player's ceiling? Probably really not that high. What do you think about maybe pursuing a trade for maybe a veteran, borderline, all-star type point guard, like maybe looking at Memphis or somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, once you said Mike Conley, and, and whilst I'm probably a little bit more hesitant on that one, just given his age, he's 32, we, we had those rumors or those reports about Drew Holiday now, I mentioned the word fluid before, and I think that's exactly what this situation is going to be because New Orleans jumping up to number one and basically landing Zion, they can either run it back with this team and maybe try to convince Anthony Davis to stay and then build around Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis, and Zion Williamson, or they could go the complete other way where AD still wants out and the Lakers jumping up into the top four actually sort of helps um, speed things along in terms of a Lakers trade where AD could still find himself going to... to um, to Los Angeles, which may put the, the, the Pelicans into a blow it up mode where maybe you can get Drew Holiday for pick number seven or something like that. Obviously, there would have to be further assets involved, but I think previously I was pretty adamant against not necessarily trading up or, or sorry, trading for a veteran type point guard. But at this point, given the Bulls have fallen to seven and, and I don't really like Kobe White as a point guard, I'm not convinced that he's a point guard and I, I think he's more of a combo guard and I think pairing him with Levine and when, you, when you've got two young big men who need someone to facilitate the ball for them, I, I'm concerned that a, a backcourt of White and Levine wouldn't necessarily be best for Larry Markin and Wendell Carter Jr. Now, I, I kind of have to almost go back on a few of my words where based on the variables and how they've sort of shaped up, I, I think you have to look at trading uh, trading out for a, for a veteran point guard too. I think that's an option in play now. Absolutely. And you look at like, 
I know Utah made that offer, or supposedly they started their talks with their first round pick, which was mid twenties, and uh, Grayson Allen as a potential piece to start a, a conversation about Mike Conley. And we heard Memphis kind of turned that down, and they're like, "No, nah, Mike Conley's worth more than that." Obviously, there's probably going to be a lot of suitors, probably half a dozen, maybe not, maybe more than that, looking for Mike Conley's services. And now with the with the Grizzlies at number two, it only makes more sense. For them to tear it all down, trade your last piece. They traded Marcus all at the deadline. Trade your last piece, get as many assets as you can, and now you really fully restarted this rebuild. Because I think people forget Jaron Jackson Jr. and how good he's going to be in Memphis, too. And you add John Morant to that, plus what other assets you can accumulate from Conley. Grizzlies looking in good shape to trade Conley as opposed to maybe a few months ago where they were hesitant about, I don't know where we're going to land in the lottery. We're in a weird position. Now you're sitting pretty at number two. So this the Bulls could actually maybe take advantage of that. And they've if I'm looking across the board, even at competitive teams like the Pacers who had interest in him too in Utah, those are still contending playoff teams and they don't have many assets to trade. So I feel like the Bulls could package themselves up a pretty nice deal if they want to be in those talks for guys like Drew Holiday or Mike Conley. And to me at this point, and this is what we talked about at Locked on Bulls too the last couple of days is... I feel like the Bulls are going to this point where over the next couple of years, they just want to get back to playoff contention and they want to be somewhere between four and eight. But where do you go after that? Where's your is that your really your ceiling to think that Bulls fans are going to be content? I I just I don't play into that factor. And I feel like the Bulls are pressing themselves more and more into that situation. And it started with the Otto Porter trade. So I don't know. I'm like I just I'm still lost for words at where the Bulls sit right now at seven, but I hope they pursue a possible trade because I'm fully on board for that now at number seven. Yeah, I mean you've certainly got to consider it more. I mean you've, the the chances are that you you find a, a legitimate I won't say superstar, but even an all star level talent at number seven is probably unlikely. I know people will point to the fact that the Bulls have had the last two number two number seven picks and in Larry Mark and Wendell Carter Jr given what we've seen from both thus far in their career, you have to feel pretty pretty good about what they've sort of produced thus far and that you have to be feeling about, you have to be feeling good as to what they've produced to the point where you think they could outplay their draft position. But that doesn't necessarily mean that this number seven pick coming up is going to do the same. So this is an isolated situation. Yeah, the Bulls have done well at number seven before, but that doesn't mean that number seven is going to reward them favorably this time around. And that's just due to the strength of the draft. And I think most people assume it's not a strong one, but I think what I'm interested in now is how the Bulls are going to sell this to the fan base, because I think the fan base is generally pretty annoyed right now as well. And even the the most optimistic Bulls fans probably couldn't talk themselves into number seven. Well, I, I take that back. There probably will still be some that will talk themselves into number seven. But I mean, going into the draft today, whether you're a Bulls optimist, a Bulls realist, or a, Bull, a Bulls pessimist, I think everyone was pretty clear that they wanted at least the number two pick, if not number two, the number one. But number seven is a pretty bad outcome, all things considered. So how do you think Bulls management and Bulls ownership sell this to to, to Bulls the Bulls fan base? Oh, I, they're going to have some type of spin, right? And and I don't know if that's we're going to be aggressive and look at all options. We still feel like we can have a quality player at number seven where we pick. And that's what we're going to hear probably from from John Pax and Gar Foreman. And even if Michael Reinsdorf speaks before again before the draft in a month. But 
I mean, fan base can't be happy about this. If you're a bull, diehard Bulls fan or a diehard NBA fan and you've been following this team all year long, you kind of knew this. You kind of you, you kind of set yourself up to understand that there is a real chance the Bulls can fall from four to seven. And I think if you if you were realistic about that, then you understood that there was a greater chance of falling than it was to pushing yourself up to the top three picks in the draft. Bulls fans, for me, I feel like you you take the apathy that the Bulls, that Bulls fans had the last two months of the season, and then you take also a lot of the anger about this rebuild. You mash those two things together, and it doesn't create a really great formula for a fan base. I just I find it very very. I don't know what the word is exactly, but I find it very, um, very parallel that the Bulls find themselves in this situation over the last year or so. You know, everything bad that could have gone wrong has gone wrong for this team. And that goes from injuries to coaching decisions to national media stories and now leading up to the draft where this was second worst case scenario and falling from four to seven. But I, Mark, I don't know how they're going to spin this. Like fans can't be happy about this. It's why I keep continuing going back to maybe they're going to make a bold move and maybe they need to do that in order to, to spice things up here. And I know that's not the bulls MO over the last few years, but maybe they seriously need to consider making a really bold move. And I don't know what that is. Is that, is that finding a trade package and moving and moving Carter on top of your seventh pick? Is that finding a package and maybe moving another piece on this team in order to bring in a, a borderline all-star or maybe even an all-star? But I don't know if the Bulls have the assets to even do that at this point. So how do you think that they're going to spin this? And how do you think the fan base is going to take this? Uh, look, I mentioned before that my thoughts are all over the place. So, so let me let me gather them for a moment before I... um. Yeah, just let me, let me let me gather them because I I have no idea what is going to happen. So whilst I'm gathering those thoughts, let me tell the listeners about this week's sponsor, which happens to be ShipStation. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. It can be time-consuming, expensive, and there's so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fairest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps your orders get out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter what you're selling, be it Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. And right now, BlueWire podcast listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works on all your major carriers including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. Alright, back to your question, Jordan. Um, I have no idea how they're going to, to go about this situation because, I mean, we, we've heard reports and, and, and stories about Bulls management, Bulls ownership reaching out to season ticket holders and, and, and just fans in general who had been ringing in, emailing, sort of sending through all this negative negative attention to the Bulls way. And I, I can't imagine that sort of uh, stopping after today because in a lot of ways, 
Bulls fans and Bulls media and Bulls radio, it, 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 there was hyping up this draft to be as important as, you know, maybe the Derrick Rose draft or potentially even, you know, LeBron's game six win, oh, sorry, game four winner in, in 2015. Like this moment right here and right now in this lottery, it was going to be a, a franchise altering moment for this team. And obviously it's played out the way it has. So I don't know how you can really jazz up or, or, or really get fans excited about another number seven pick when... The Bulls entered a rebuild to find a superstar talent, and I think John Paxson was pretty clear in in his words that the Bulls went about rebuilding because they wanted to contend for championships, and they effectively traded Jimmy Butler because, one, they didn't want to pay him that huge salary, but two, they felt that they could probably build a, a more competitive team by rebuilding. I guess that's remains to be that remains to be seen now because they're going to be adding a number seven pick to Levine, Carter, and Markman, and I'm not sure if that is enough. So you, I think. To your point, you really do need to start exploring scenarios where you have to potentially trade out one of Carter or Levine or Mark, and maybe you attach that to pick seven. And I don't know if that's enough to sort of grab up or, or to jump up into the the pick two range. I'm assuming New Orleans aren't giving up that number one pick at all. So I don't know. Is number seven and, and Larry Marketing enough to get number two? And even if it is, would, would you want to do it? I, I don't know. Yeah, if it's, I'm I'm still adamant about the fact that I think the only player on this team right now that I'm not willing to trade is Markinen at this point, and I, I get Carter's ceiling, and I get what he can be in maybe two, three, four years from now, and like, look, he's going to be 20 at the start of the season or right before the start of the season. I get you still got some great pieces, but in terms of us Bulls fans and also Bulls management too, they need to really seriously start thinking about timeline, timeline here. Like you got three years left to Levine, and if Levine continues to play the way he will, I would imagine the contract he's on, it's only going to go up from there. You have to re-sign Markkinen to probably, I mean, if he continues on the path that we think he is, I mean, you're talking about a borderline max deal for Markkinen. You're talking about pretty sizable contracts for some other young pieces too, so this timeline thing too, you need to figure out because Otto Porter is going to be off in two years. Great. You're going to free up some of that money, but what he, what is he to your team at this point? Like, is he still a piece that you want to consider keeping around long term after that? Like there's a lot of moving parts and it's like, where are you trying to be competitive at this point? And when is that going to start happening? Because I mean, you could go another two, two seasons of losing and not make the playoffs or make the playoffs as a seven or an eight seed. And you've got a lot of guys coming up on contracts and decisions you have to make before you even hit hit peak of what you wanted to do with this rebuild. So I guess I'm at a point where I'm like, the Bulls wanted to aim for championships, and that was the goal here. And when you traded Jimmy Butler, that was the goal. And I don't think that they are at this point two years into the rebuild. I don't. I think that they've started to switch gears from that, and they're going to go with the safe route and maybe make fans content by having a ceiling team of, oh, we're going to be a scrappy team at four, five, six seed in the East, and maybe we'll win a playoff series, and that'll be good enough at least for a couple of years. And like, I hate that. I want the Bulls, no matter how many seasons it would take of losing to finally get this right and get back to a team and a formula that's going to get you back to the two and championship. And I feel like the Bulls at this point, only two years in, kind of punted at that at the trade deadline. And that's kind of affected things now because you punted on all of your cap flexibility 
And now you drop from four to seven as opposed to going four to one or four to two. So that's where I'm at at this point. It's like, where are we? What's the ceiling of this rebuild now? Is it is it four and five seed in the East? And then maybe for a year or two. And then after that, you kind of throw your hands up and go, what is this? I don't know. That's where I'm at. I mean, that's completely fair, man. I mean, it's completely fair. And if the more I think about it, and look, just playing the odds, and obviously there's a chance that Larry Markham becomes a superstar, or maybe the pick that's coming up at number seven, maybe they exceed expectations, and they're more than just a role player or you know a generic starter, and they too like Larry Markkinen or even Wendell Carter Jr. sort of exceed their draft position. So I still, I guess that's still in play, and it's still a possibility. But if we're talking about probabilities or odds, I think we're sort of headed down a path where the Bulls are building themselves a, a Baby Bulls era part two, where, you know, when Paxson first took on the job, he brought in Kirk Heinrich and Ben Gordon and, and Lawal Deng and Andres Nocioni, and then made that trade where he effectively traded for LaMarcus Aldridge and, and Joakim Noah came the year after. Obviously, Aldridge didn't hang around. They traded that for Tyrus Thomas, but that collection of talent, there was obviously a lot of it there, and, and there was a you know potential for that team to be a 50-win team and, and maybe a second-round-out team. I kind of feel like that's where we're heading again, and it's not a direct comparison because he's younger and he's, he's obviously a different player, but I, I almost feel like adding Otto Porter Jr. at the trade deadline is sort of similar to adding Ben Wallace in free agency, where you're bringing that more experienced head, that veteran guy that can sort of lead and command that locker room where you're adding him to that younger core and can be that veteran presence. So to your point, I think they sort of have started that diversion away from that full younger rebuilding team and they they want to sort of head towards the playoffs, well, probably next season, I'm assuming, but definitely the season thereafter. But I do feel this potentially will be expedited now, given that they've got the number seven pick and maybe if you landed, you know, pick two or three, you can still go down that rebuilding path and talking yourself into that youth movement, youth movement rather. But now that you've got number seven, the number seven pick where you're more likely to land a role player than an actual star, I could see them sort of swinging now in, in free agency for some veterans and really trying to uh, you know upspeed or up, yeah upspeed this rebuild to the point where they're sort of fighting for 35, 40 wins next season, which to your point isn't ideal. And I think we are headed down that path of another baby bulls era, which I enjoyed that era. And I think you know being a 45, 50, 50 win team isn't a bad thing to be, but unlike the Baby Bulls where that team sort of grew organically from a really rough situation, the Bulls are coming from a situation where they could have built a 45 to 50 win team around Jimmy Butler. To trade that away and to go through all these years of rebuilding where the most likely outcome is that they sort of get back to that point, I think that's what's really hard to swallow right now. That's where I'm at too, is the fact that you traded Jimmy to get out of mediocrity and all of a sudden, now I feel like the ceiling of this team and this rebuild, at least rebuild part one, you're going right back to mediocrity. Your ceiling is mediocrity at this point. And obviously we had some nice years with Jimmy Butler here, but I don't think fans are, are on board for a for a first round exit or a second round exit. And really, you know, knowing that this team's going to go into the playoffs and greats, that's awesome, but... I mean, how often is it now in modern NBA that a a surprise team will go and make it all the way to the finals and a scrappy team like that? It just doesn't happen anymore, similar to the way that the Dallas Mavericks were able to do that at the beginning of this this decade 
when they were able to do that. Like that doesn't happen with teams anymore like that. You have to have legitimate stars and a legitimate plan. And I feel like for the longest time, I feel like the Bulls just don't really have a plan. And I told Matt Peck, my co-host this, I told him at the trade deadline when they made that deal for Otto, I said, fine, that's good. Like, uh, fine. Otto Porter's a good player and I think he's underrated, but now I don't know where the path is. I knew what the path was in year one, and they they stuck to that. And I knew it even when they signed Jabari to short-term deal in the summer. I said, okay, fine. Still got cap flexibility in 2019. I still understand what the path is here. Then we got all these injuries. They, They decided to move on from Bobby Portis and a few other pieces. And then they made the deal for Otto Porter, and I was just like, now the the vision and the the idea of where this rebuild is going is sort of hazy at this point. Now I feel even more so with the Bulls falling from four to seven. Mark, I got to ask you a question. Do you now, I don't know where you were at at the deadline in terms of the Bulls taking a gamble on, say, Anthony Davis. Where are you now at the point where, like, obviously I was saying they, he needs to come with a contract extension. There's, there's, you're dropping the phone and you're hanging up on the Pelicans if they talk about uh, just keeping on, on his current deal. But are you now more willing to maybe gamble on the, on Anthony Davis trade that doesn't include a contract extension and seeing where that ends up? Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I, I haven't even considered Anthony Davis because. I haven't really liked the way he sort of handled the whole situation. But, I mean, I had a tweet earlier today that the Bulls need to be bold now. I mean, falling to number seven, you you really need to be creative at this point because just, just picking someone at number seven, signing a veteran point guard in free agency, signing some bench help in the, in the, in the front court. I mean, yeah, you'd be rounding out the roster and building a, a decent team, but it, it's not really creative. It's not really risk-taking. You're sort of positioning yourself to the point where you are building towards that 45-50 win team, which I guess is okay, but it's not necessarily the, the desired outcome after trading Butler. So I, I'm totally on board with right now with being bold because they haven't walked away from this draft with the necessary outcome. And Paxson, I think he's, he's he's recently just spoke about maybe potentially trading the pick, or he didn't express those words directly, but he he said you have to explore all options, and I really hope they do. And I don't know if Anthony Davis is the play because maybe, like I said before, maybe this draft has completely changed the Pelicans' mind, completely changed Anthony Davis's mind, and obviously the Lakers jumping up to up into the top four has really changed the game as well. So I, I probably wouldn't do it. Just because I think if what it would take to get Anthony Davis, I'm assuming it's going to still take Larry Markin and Wendell Carter Jr. as a starting point, or, or maybe Zach Levine because the, the Pelicans have, uh, I guess Zion now. They wouldn't necessarily need Larry and, and Wendell Carter Jr. So maybe they only want one of those bigs. But you would still kind of need to deplete uh, deplete this Bulls team. And now I don't know what you would be left with. So I'd probably pass on that. But I still agree with your general theory of the Bulls need to do something bold here they need to be somewhat creative whether that's trading up into this draft trading out of this draft trading the pick for a veteran I don't know what the answer is but like I said before it's kind of a fluid situation where this can go one of one of many ways but I kind of feel like we're sort of floating nowhere really at the moment which is kind of concerning I totally agree with you at this point and I don't know it's hard for me to understand what the actual value is for Anthony Davis and you know, the Celtics could still definitely be in play for him, but I mean, 
it's hard for me to believe that all of a sudden the Boston Celtics would be like, yeah, Kyrie is going to leave, and you know what? We'll, we'll trade Jason Tatum. Let's do it for Anthony Davis. I have a really hard time believing that the Celtics would give up a ton of assets for Anthony Davis after they just watched a star walk and potentially walk in Kyrie. We don't know yet, but still, I like... I still think the situation with Anthony Davis is fluid, and I don't think that the Lakers really have all the assets that the Pelicans want in terms of of right fit. And if you're getting Davis to go and pair with LeBron and potentially potentially another free agent, I don't know. Like maybe the Pelicans are just saying, you know what? Maybe we're going to move outside of those two teams and look for a surprise team. And that's exactly what Zach Lowe said. He said, I talked to a lot of executives and this is about a month ago. He said, talk to a lot of executives. And the thing that's kind of hot right now is that there's going to be a surprise team for Anthony Davis this summer. I don't know who it's going to be, but there could potentially be a, a surprise team. And I don't know if that changes now the fact that they've got the number one pick and Zion in their hands. Maybe that changes some things, but I don't know, maybe I can talk myself over the next month, month and a half into an idea of if you don't have to give up both marketing and Carter or you don't have to give up two out of the three of Levine, marketing and Carter, maybe I would be more intrigued at the idea of taking the gamble for what is it one year for Anthony Davis and convincing him to stay in Chicago with some of those other pieces that you have. Maybe it would only take Carter your seventh pick and maybe a unprotected pick next year and Chris Dunn. Maybe it takes that package. Um, Something along those lines, I'd really start to consider that because like you said, it's time to pull out the driver, John Paxson and Gar Foreman. It's time to pull out the driver and take a risk here because what are we? What else are we going to do? Are we going to sit here in mediocrity for the next three or four years and then sign some guys to max contracts and still stay in this situation? I feel like we're kind of back at that point two years ago when we traded Jimmy and the ceiling was mediocrity, and I feel like that's sort of where the Bulls are headed at this point. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I mean, if I'm Anthony Davis, though, I'm kind of reconsidering my position right now because he probably wasn't when he when he uh, demanded that trade. He wasn't thinking the Pelicans were going to end up with the number one pick and potentially Zion Williamson. But now he's staring at a situation where Zion Williamson can potentially be his front court partner whilst earning a five-year, $230 million contract, assuming the Pelicans still want to uh, give him that Supermax deal. So if I'm Anthony Davis, I'm probably rethinking that situation, and I probably prefer that option than maybe a trade to the to the Bulls or the Celtics. Maybe he still wants the Lakers, but I don't know. If, if I'm AD, I'm, I'm thinking something a little bit different now. But, I mean, we're, we're recording this there after the, the draft lottery, so my mind is kind of all over the place at the moment, but... I just read a tweet from Casey Johnson, which had a quote from John Paxson, and he said, in speaking about how the sort of the, the lottery played out, he says, "My mind immediately went to the fact that three of the top four are going out west, and New York didn't get the number one pick. So that's something in our favor." Now, I don't know if Paxson's sort of joking around when he said that, or if he's being legitimately genuine when he says that. I'm assuming he is, given that he he mentioned that that was one of his first immediate thoughts. But given that, I mean, the East is, to that point, I suppose, Zion not coming to the East, I guess, is a good thing for the Bulls in, in that, it, you know, an Atlanta Hawks or the New York Knicks didn't necessarily get Zion. So maybe that's a good thing. But at the same time, does that give some insight into the how the Bulls are sort of operating here that they still think that they've got competitive advantage here in the Eastern Conference purely because the, the West is sort of loaded up even after the lottery now? And, and do you think that gives some insight as to, as to how they're sort of going to 
maybe not be bold here in the fact that they still think that the East is weak and that they can just sort of run it back with this team, sort of invest in the current guys that they've got, maybe add a few free agents and sort of see where they can go in this weakened East. Personally, I hope that's not the that's not the case, but realistically, probably. I mean, everything that we've heard Paxton and, and Gar Foreman say over the last two years since we started this rebuild has sort of been similar to that, and it's been even more hardcore that way over the last six months. I mean, I hate the fact that 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 was said, and maybe, like you said, maybe it was said in jest a little bit. Um, but to me, like I could take that and flip it on its head and say, yeah, after July first, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving can be Knicks. They also have the number three pick, which they could have R.J. Barrett on top of that, plus Dennis Smith Jr. So there you go. You've added somebody. You've added another team to the playoff mix immediately. You look at the Brooklyn Nets, they're going to have some money to spend this summer, and who knows if a star goes there. Brooklyn Nets stay in that conversation. The Pistons could could have a conversation about trading and upgrading there, and they could play into the back end of the East Eastern Conference in terms of playoff teams. I mean, the Hornets may drop out, and we'll see them take a fall if they don't re-sign Kemba Walker, but still, there's a, there's a handful of teams here that are only going to get better, and are you really at that point? In terms of thinking about this as the Bulls, are you really at that point where you say, "Yeah, we can be competitive enough to be between those teams that are six and six and ten seed in the East, six and eleven seed in the East"? Because you also have to think about the Atlanta Hawks too. They're going to be even better than they were last season, and they were on the come up too. I mean, they're plus they're going to have money to spend this off season, so they could even sign a star. So I think. In terms of playing the arms race game and the way that they're operating, thinking like if they think that way in terms of some of the prospects that are going to go out west just this season, I mean, I think I think you spin that on your head and you you talk about free agency, you can say, yeah, well, all these teams are going to load up in free agency and you're still going to be about the same. You're going to add a couple veterans, but that only makes you marginally better. So I don't know. I, I just I hope that's not the theory with the Bulls and the way that they're thinking. But maybe you're right. Maybe that that is the way that they're thinking. We'll just stand pat. We'll continue on with our m- mediocre plan, and hopefully it works out for the best. And the players that we drafted before turn out to be uh, stars. And maybe that's the gamble that they're going to take. And I really hope it's not. Yeah, totally agree. And I mean, you mentioned the Knicks potentially getting better, but I think the way the playoffs are sort of shaped out that I think it's still in play here that maybe Kawhi hangs around in Toronto. I think Woj reported something to, to Kawhi has maybe uh, firmed a little on Toronto. It's not to say he's going to definitely stay there, but it, it might be more in play than what it was previously. I think the way the, six, the Sixers season sort of ended here where they came basically one shot away from making the Eastern Conference Finals, I think... I think the chances that they sort of retain Jimmy Butler and potentially even t- up Tobias Harris has sort of, sort of increased too. So I guess Kyrie Irving is the bit of a wild card situation, but maybe Boston still get involved with Anthony Davis. And so maybe that top four doesn't really change much at all. And, and those teams that you sort of mentioned before, maybe they they sort of remodel themselves and you can add a Knicks to that team. Maybe you've got really five good teams out in the Eastern Conference. Victor, Victor Oladipo comes back and, and, and then Indiana look much better too. So... I kind of hope that they're not thinking that the draft, the way it's played out with three of the top four picks going out west has made the Eastern Conference even weaker than that. Therefore, they will be uh, gutting for the playoffs a little bit quicker. I hope that's not the play, but who knows with this team. But I mean, 
I really don't know what else to think at this point. Obviously, today didn't go the way I had hoped it did. Obviously, most Bull fans, uh, I think, would agree with that. So probably best to leave it there, Jordan, because I'm probably going to be spinning the wheels. I haven't been the best podcast host today, but uh, I'm a bit scatterbrained right now. But I appreciate you coming on nonetheless and sharing in the sharing the misery with me. I, I very much appreciate that, mate. <laughs> I appreciate you having me on, and I'm kind of scatterbrained myself. And I think that's... It's a good place because I feel like a lot of Bulls fans are at this point where they don't know what to think. There's a million scenarios going left and right that the Bulls could make or they couldn't make. And I think a lot of Bulls fans at this point are like, I knew that this was a possibility, but I didn't think it was going to be the reality. I'll leave you on one positive note. The Bulls are going to save about $1.2 million in cap space. So they'll have $1.2 million in extra cap space because the rookie scale, if they stay at 7 is roughly $3.7 million for that first year as opposed to 4.9. So a little bit extra room on top of maybe that Omera Sheik 3 million gives you roughly about five extra million than you thought you were going to have originally. So maybe they put that to good use. So there's at least one small positive that comes out from dropping from four to seven. Well, more money to give to Ryan Archidiakono and re-signing yeah. him. So I, I guess that is the silver lining. So I appreciate that that note, Jordan. That has actually got me pretty positive now. So I appreciate you coming on, man. I'll be tuning into Locked On tomorrow because I'm sure you guys will have the more co- coherent thoughts and more time to to digest everything we've sort of been through through this draft period. But uh, again, thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks for having me, Mark. Anytime. So that was Jordan Malley, folks. Follow him online at Jordan C. Malley on Twitter and also Locked On Bulls. I'm sure you already listened to Locked On Bulls, but go and do that anyway. Oh, man. As I said, I've been a little bit all over the place because we are recording this pretty much there after the draft. So apologies for things being a little bit scattered, but I guess that's what happens when the Bulls fall from number four to number seven. It's not the outcome any of us really wanted, but here we are, unfortunately, and... Yeah, I'll collect my thoughts. I'll come back with another podcast soon. And maybe at that point, I'll have a a more clear idea of what the next phase of, of this Bulls team is. Maybe it is sort of just hanging tight with this draft pick and still building organically. Or, or maybe it is being more creative and trying to do something where you're packaging this pick, either moving up in this draft or out of this draft or whatever it may be. I, I don't know. I think it's still fresh. It's still raw. Everything is still fluid right now. So... Yeah, it's a bit crazy. But look, I'm interested in hearing from you guys. Hit me up on Twitter at MK Hoops. What are your thoughts about how this sort of situation has played out? Interested to hear about that. Also, if you get a chance, jump on iTunes. Give the show a five-star review. And then while you're at iTunes, check out Blue Wire as well, Blue Wire Podcast Network. Check out all the NBA-based podcasts out there that we have, particularly now that we're in the playoffs. We have Blue Wire Buckets running. Pretty good uh, source of, of playoff information as we're going through the the Eastern and Western Conference Finals right now. So check out Blue Wire on all your your podcasting apps. But, ah, uh, man, uh, I, I'm not sure. It's going to take me a while to get over this. It's going to take me a while, but <laughs> I appreciate you listening to this episode of Bulls HQ. Hopefully, you've been able to share in your post-lotteries blues with me and maybe our collected misery can um, help us get through this. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what a great way to end this podcast. But that's about it for today. Appreciate you guys listening. I'll be back soon, so I'll speak to you all then.
Mira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.